Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX, and welcome to season two, episode 22 of the Access VFX podcast. On each episode of the pod, we interview a different member of the VFX animation and games community and ask them the big 20 questions from the AVFX vault, but not on this episode. We said at the end of our last episode, our summer special, there'd perhaps be another episode up our sleeves before we continued with our regular scheduled programming. So, for our 22nd episode, our end-of summer special, we are addressing the current cost of living crisis. Holding down an entry-level position in any industry is tough, but with inflation and the rising costs of living, it is particularly difficult out there. To offer some support, we brought together Benita Hunwicks, Head of Finance at Union Visual Effects, James Davey, CFO at Territory Group, and Will Hughes, Talent Manager at Escape Studios, to discuss budgets, money-saving hacks, pensions, and how to enjoy a social life while still keeping an eye on your future. We recorded this last week, and there's a lot of excellent tips in here that we hope will go some way to help out and provide a financial steer. So stop what you're doing and make time to invest in episode 22 of the Access VFX podcast, our cost of living end of summer special. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Access VFX podcast, the last one before we once again open up the season two vault to a plethora of industry professionals. But until then, we've got this special episode. And on this particular episode, we're addressing the current cost of living crisis. With the rapid increase in energy costs, fuel, food and accommodation, it's getting harder to pay rent and simply exist whilst holding down entry-level roles on entry-level salaries. For this episode, we have assembled a killer lineup of financial experts who will be able to offer some solace and guidance on how to navigate this challenging time for the next generation of talent coming through. So please welcome to the podcast, Benita Hunwicks, Head of Finance at Union Visual Effects. We have James Davey, CFO at Territory Group, and Will Hughes, Talent Development Manager over at Escape Studios. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. It's really good to be here, Simon. Excellent. Excellent. So we uh, we assembled this lineup quite quickly. I say quickly. It's taken us a good few weeks to get a, a date in the diary because we're all we're all busy people. And uh, this episode uh, came off the back of a recent Access VFX board meeting where we were talking about the podcast, and it was a subject that everybody was talking about. I think there's a lot of our um, fellowship, I guess, or the people that are interested in careers in visual effects have a n- number of concerns. So what better to just assemble a group of financial experts i admit this episode is the one i'm the most fearful of doing and i was we were talking earlier in the the mop-up about the amount of podcast episodes that i've done i am not a financial person so i'm hoping to learn a bit on this podcast as well so um i will do my best to manage such esteemed guests um so i think we should just dive straight into it and one of the questions i had for the three of you and uh, i'm going to throw this out to whoever wants to answer first is the idea of a budget now personally i have always just lived within my means and or in some cases maybe gone above my means but i've never had a an actual budget that i've kind of worked out in terms of you know i'm going to spend x amount of money on social activity where possible or savings or food and existence so the question is why is having a budget important effectively a budget gives you control over your finances and therefore over your life to an extent Um, and basically what it does is give you information on how much money is coming in and going out of your account on a regular basis but equally importantly, when that money is coming in and out. Um, so, you, so you've so you got sufficient funds in your account to do certain things. And knowing that information then helps you make the best decisions. So you can ensure that you plan how you spend your money and you don't run out of cash before the end of the month. Um, Simon, it sounds like you've lived within your means, but I've certainly been in the situation 
um, where you're coming up to the end of the month and you know you've got more, more bills to come out and the money's not there. And it's, it induces anxiety. So if you, put, if you put that budget in place, you can remove that anxiety um, and manage those issues before they become a problem. And I think it's important to not only set a budget, but also review that budget regularly. So what you're spending versus what you thought you were going to spend. And is that in line? And therefore, are there any pending issues um, that, like I say, if you're on top of, you've got time to deal with? Yeah, so it, it sounds like it's something that's fluid. So it's not just a case of setting a, you're creating a spreadsheet and then it just sits there forever. It's almost something you revisit over time. Is that fair to say? Quite frequently. Absolutely, yeah. So um, like I say, you'd review it on a regular basis in terms of what you're actually spending versus what you thought. Mm-hmm. And then after a period of time, and it works the same in business, um, after a period of time, your assumptions around what you're spending mm-hmm. are going to be informed by what you're actually doing. And as you say, it will evolve over the course of time. It's interesting you say that because um, I remember doing a commercial awareness workshop years ago where, you know, running a business and your personal finances are literally almost the same. It's almost like a profit and loss for your life rather than a business necessarily. So you still have expenditure, you still have, like you say, stuff going out, stuff coming in, you know, utilities to pay, keep the keep the gas on, keep the lights on. It's, it's exactly the same. And I think... The point I made around the timing. So when we're looking at the financials of a business, we're looking at profit and loss, but we're also looking at cash flow. Um, And from an individual's perspective, cash flow is probably the more important one in terms of if I know my council tax comes out at the end of the month, have I got enough money in the account in cash at that point in time when that, when that money's going to go out? Excellent. Thank you, James. So we're going to come back to the idea of, timing i want to revisit that i think that's a really important one uh, benita i know you were chomping at the bit to answer that question as well so i'm going to throw the floor over to to you benita thoughts um it picks up very much on what james was saying you know it helps you live within your limits and it can help identify areas of waste as well are you spending unnecessarily on items can you identify them can also help you towards any savings goals that you have. What is your intention out of your income? Do you have some ideas of what you might want to use it for? Travelling, career progression, training. It just gives you those those pockets of savings. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, savings goals is uh, an interesting one, which is I'd, I'd like to come back to as well, because... Uh, I know quite a lot of people don't have the luxury of even saving or, or is that, is that a myth? Can anybody put something aside? I mean, it's very easy to sit back and speak on it, having, you know, being a grown up now, but back in the day, I'm lucky if I had a couple of pen, I mean, I was, to James's point, I was, my last meal of the month was beans on toast. If I was lucky, you know, I totally agree with James and Benita. It's um, the sense of control you get from managing a budget and living within your limits um it's not only pragmatically helpful but in my experience when you when you're managing a budget there's less anxiety on the horizon and um, myself and a lot of friends have um, assuaged that anxiety by spending more money (laughs) but when you when you essentially can uh, get a sense of control from where you are it's um it's really useful and as for um, saving, even when I had very little money, I was able to save like 70p a week. And I know that sounds so such a silly, small amount, but I, I don't know about you, but my parents always drummed it into me. Well, if you did that every day, that would, that would work out to be over a thousand pounds in a year. Um, so saving a little bit each week, even if it's a tiny amount, is also wonderful because I, I find that also gives you something to be proud of even um even when it gets to what looks like a small amount of money it's still something that you have um practiced um saving yeah that's a good point you know and i I like that idea of and we've talked about james you talked about removing anxiety you have that control like even i think it's very easy to say how whatever level you're at i can't save sorry i've got no money you know like the fact that you can just put away a pound a month you know, just to kind of, just to feel like you're saving, just to give you that control back, to feel you're, you're taking some ownership can, can do a lot to your, 
your mental state? I mean, is that is that fair to say? Like building on the piece around removing anxiety and, and giving you that control back? Yes, it certainly does. It helps your mental well-being. As has been said already, it makes you feel as though you're in control. And going back to the savings point, it's always good to go and speak to your head of people or finance in your own company if you want to have some sort of idea of simple things like the pension. Is there a pension? How much is it actually going to cost you as a minimum amount to go in? Because sometimes people are quite surprised at the value. They can have a big number in mind. They're afraid. They don't understand what the 5% necessarily means against their net pay. So it's always worth going and having a chat. on the um, on the savings point around saving small incremental amounts, there are obviously various tech solutions these days that enable you to do that. So I'm the least tech savvy person going, um, but even I'm aware that there are various apps or debit cards that you can use. That when you go to the supermarket, it, you can round up from to the nearest pound and put away that few pence. And as Will was saying, gradually or over the course of time that is going to add up and you're probably not going to notice it whilst you're doing it. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, I want to talk a bit more about, but let's come back to budgets because I'd love to kind of hear some tips and hacks because I think we're straying into that territory. Like you say, James, there's quite a lot of tech solutions out there. Uh, And I know, Will, you've touched on saving 70p a month, which all of this is tips and tricks. So I'd love to kind of lean into that conversation and hear from, you know, hear from the people that know money, uh, what the uh, what what the kind of the financial hacks are, are available for folk to uh, to do, or, or even just, you know, tips and tricks that people can try. Um, perhaps we can start with uh, Will. We'd love to hear some more from you, Will. Um, for saving money, where would I start? Um, I guess for me, it's it's all about food and the sense that if you've... Um, when, kind of getting back to what James was saying about budgeting, if you, ultimately, if you take care of yourself, you're going to weather um, problems much better. So I, for, for instance, like to go shopping for yellow stickers. Um, it, it will depend on, on, on your local shop. It's always good to be friends with the people who work there. Um, for me, it's um, Sunday at 7.45 or a Monday evening. Um, use get as many yellow stickers as you find um, use your freezer you'd be amazed what you can freeze you can freeze bread you can freeze um, fruit veg you can even freeze eggs and a lot of times um, you'll see things that are heavily discounted that are, that are only good to eat for the next couple of days um, so yeah shop around for bargains invest in a slow cooker which um, I'm just looking at my local Oxfam around the corner from where I work today, there are three slow cookers there, one of which was seven quid. Slow uh, cooker can cost um, just under 10 pence to make a whole meal, which takes into consideration your energy costs as well. And it's also a nice thing to return home from work to find um, cheap homemade food waiting for you. So yeah, a lot of my tips would be about making good quality food on the cheap. It's not the first time I've uh, heard the uh, the yellow sticker approach. I think the literally the second ep- ever episode of the Axe VFX podcast, we did a runner special and there was a whole conversation. I think it was about like 1p chickens or something. Like there was a point in the, the day where the chickens just got absolutely rinsed like five minutes before the store closed. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of logic in that and a bit of batch cooking, some good, good lockdown tips there as well, Will, for sure. Um, James, anything to add to that? Well, firstly, I'm going to go out and look for some 1P chicken. <laughs> so I'm picking up some tips from being on this. Um, I mean, we've obviously moved on from, from the budget. I mean, we'll be the, 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 the most obvious thing is, is to have that budget in place and continue tracking against mm-hmm. it because that fundamentally underpins every, everything that you're doing yeah. in terms of what you're spending and therefore where you might be overspending, where you might be able to save money. Um, and in terms of tips or hacks, I mean, there's obviously websites everywhere in terms of um, ways to save money. But a couple of things I did want to mention were 
um, review what benefits you're entitled to. Um, so I, I was doing some research recently that there's basically hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds of benefits that people are entitled to that they don't claim. Mm -hmm. So if you go to gov.uk, you can basically type your information in and it will tell wow. you what benefits are available. And in particular, um, there's a working from home tax allowance, which is also on gov.uk where you can enter your details in um, to assess whether you're eligible for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be backdated, I think, for a couple of years. So it could be worth two, three, four hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, if people aren't aware of it, so like I say, go to gov.uk to have a look at that. Mm -hmm. The other one is use your employer. So use the benefits or the invisible benefits that your employer gives you. So whether that's free breakfast or snacks during the day, or they put on social events, uh, or they run a cycle to work scheme the employer's going to spend that money um, and as a good employer should be spending that money for various reasons around culture and employee engagement. Um, but the employer's going to spend the money. So make sure you're taking advantage of that essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, along with that, uh, Benita, you talked about getting friendly with your head of talent, people managers, finance uh, directors and team to really kind of, uh, again, find out what you're entitled to if you're in industry, right? Because we've got a lot of people who listen to the podcast that are still trying to get their first break. But if you're in your entry-level role, is really find out from your, your HR team, I guess, and, and your finance team what's available. Definitely. Is that fair? And another point is don't assume your tax code is correct. Assumptions are made on that. Um, it's always worth calling HMRC um, and making sure that is right, because your tax-free tax, um, tax -free allowance might be incorrect. And as James was saying, if they can factor in things like working from home allowance, they put that on your tax code as well. I mean, this, this all sounds awesome, right? But it sounds like a whole heap of admin. You know, if I'm a 18, 19-year-old aspiring visual effectser or, you know, animator, producer, whatever role I want to get into, all I'm hearing right now is, I've got this massive spreadsheet to pull together. I've got to go on gov.uk and find out all of this work. And it's all valid and I completely get it. But for some young young buck, which I am not anymore, um, who, who's just moved to London or is just in the city and they want to get out and about and live their life, sounds like they have to spend at least uh, half a day just uh, doing a ton of admin. Um, what would you say to that person, uh, Will? I think the best way to go about it, maybe before you start your budget, is to um, pay everything that you have to pay to remain operational after you get paid. So your your rent, your oyster for a month and um, food, and then any disposable income you have left, withdraw it in cash. And it's, I don't know about those listening, but I found that there's a quite a shift in between the disconnect of tapping your card and, and parting with four quid here, five quid there, whatever, and actually having a finite amount of, of cash in which to work for with. Work with. Um, and I found that that helps inform your budget when you at all puts you in the mood to write a budget uh, the following yeah, month. That's a good point. And actually to what we were talking about earlier in terms of, control and the, you know, lack of anxiety there's almost like a dopamine hit through doing that in many ways where you do feel like actually I'm in control of what I'm what I'm earning so I want to move to um, the budget so I think we're going to keep circling around the subject of budget and one of the questions I got asked in preparation for this podcast was from a, a young gen, gen Zer who was asking around budgets but actually what a typical and I'm using the term typical loosely what a typical breakdown looks like in terms of proportionality or what a budget should look like from a kind of broad entry-level salary perspective so somebody coming in at you know around 20 to 25k a year um who wants to kind of start that conversation in terms of what percentages we're, we're looking at in terms of expenditure any thoughts around that so generally most of your income will go on to your mortgage your rent your utility bills so it's looking at that and it tends to be that that can be around 50%. It's not a said amount, it's a general amount. Um, and then it can be um, about 30%, say, on discretionary spend. 
So your um, eating out, your shopping, your trips, any subscriptions you might have. And then the remaining 20% could be around savings or debt. Um, do you have repayments to make? Can you put some aside for pension? Or as, as has been spoken, the odd penny rounding up to a pound, um, a little bit of money left from your budget at the end of the week if you've done one. Yeah. All these things can make a difference. That's a good point, Benita. Thank you. Um, the last 20% is interesting, isn't it? So savings and debt are almost two kind of polar extremes, aren't they, depending on your personal situation. Um, on pensions, um, what is the benefit for a, a young and I'm talking broadly because we have so many people listening to this podcast, but I'm thinking about somebody just starting their career at an entry-level salary. Why should they be investing in a pension? And are there options to tailor your pension as to what you can afford? Because there's an assumption that it's just a percentage of your salary automatically goes into a pension. I mean, what's the, what's the school of thought on pensions at the moment for uh, Gen Z? I, I mean, I could take that one. Let's be honest, um, for a Gen Z, a pension's aren't particularly exciting because it's so far in the future. Um, But all advice you will read um, suggests that start, suggest start paying into a pension as early as you can. And the the reason for that is even if you're only putting a little bit in that money is growing over say 40, 45 years and the value of it growing over that amount of time is, will be worth um, when you get to the point that you're actually about to retire, the small amount you put in now, you'd probably have to put in ten, uh, five times more at the point that you retire mm-hmm. to to match it. When you take account of how much it's grown over that period of time, so all sort of traditional wisdom is put as much, start paying into a pension as early as you can. There's also a tax benefit of, of doing that. Um, because the money that you put into your pension isn't taxed. Um, and in terms of the amount you put in, I mean, there is mandatory auto-enrollment auto now. So go, the policy from the government that is it's mandatory for all employers to provide a workplace pension. Um, and as an employee, you would be automatically enrolled into it. And the min- the minimum contribution you need to make is 5% of your top line salary. So not your take home pay, but if you're on 25 grand, it would be 5% of the, mm-hmm. of the 25 grand. Um, there is an option if you're, if you are struggling to opt out of, of that pension and you'd need to notify your um, head of people or head of finance, whoever it is that you want to do that you might not save as much as you think mm-hmm. by doing it because like i say there's there's a you would basically end up paying more tax if you reduce the amount you're putting into your pension so on paper you might think oh great i'm going to save x amount per month but it will be less than that because there's a tax difference and if you do go down that road my advice would be opt back in again asap okay. um there, there obviously may be a need to do it in the short term if you're really, really struggling for cash. Um, but as soon as you've got your head above water and you're able to afford to opt back in, because like I say, that benefit of putting even a small amount in when you're say 18, 19, 20 makes a massive difference when, when you come to retirement age. So it's literally you know, doing what you can to, if you can, to pay into a pension. To Benita's point, she That's threw it. in the, so we've got 50% on, the important stuff right is, is that kind of broadly agreed on the pod james and will do you agree with the 50 percent being the biggest chunk of change on um, yeah so then that 30 percent is your discretionary and that 20 percent. so if we take off five percent of that savings or debt for a pension if you're fortunate to, to pay into a company pension that leaves you 15 percent realistically to um to put towards savings whatever that number would be so then discretionary spend what is what are we looking at discretionary spend what's realistic um i think you can make it work i think that the trick is to know that you're first and foremost you're fed and then for fun and to keep your sanity and to be able to hang out with friends uh you should try thinking of some ways of uh, facilitating that on the cheap one of my favorite ways is to to join every mailing list of every art gallery in town 
every month there's going to be a new launch or whatever with um, free booze so an opportunity to take your friends out for the night and see a bit of art and you get a bit of an experience um yeah and entertaining a lot as well it's quite nice if you to keep your sanity when when times are tough is to have friends over and you all bring something that you've made and you all enjoy the company together the same goes for um bringing your own bottle of something it's going to be cheaper if all of your friends club together and get the little components of, of something rather than all going out to a club for the evening so ultimately it's just making it stretch what you have yeah so we, well i think we're definitely rolling into the idea of how to maintain a social life while still saving going into a pension so you're, you're suggesting that we find ways beyond clubs and pubs because i think that traditionally when you think social life you think pubs and clubs it's insanely expensive now isn't it i mean i rarely go out these days when i do i'm shocked at the price of a beer it's insane it's like nearly the best part of a tenner isn't it so uh james uh, or benita what's your take on maintaining a reasonable social life while still doing all this work on you know budgeting and and, and saving money so say someone's on £22,000 per annum, their take-home pay is going to be around £1,500 on the standard tax code. Um, so 50% of that is going to be £750 that you need to spend on your needs. Again, this is averages. £450 will be on your wants and 300 on savings or debts. So if you can use those sorts of figures for your salary, it at least gives you some sort of idea of what that is in value terms. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say similar things to Will, to be honest. So try to work out ways that you can do similar things to what you'd like to do, what you said in terms of pubs and clubs, but more cheaply. So if that means entertaining at home, um, that might be what it means, but you can try to sort of eventize that. So you can do cocktail nights where everyone contributes their own cocktail ideas, or you can do a come dine with me thing if you like nice. going to restaurants, mm. or you can do film nights if you if you like going to the cinema. Um, and then again, similar to Will, in London and a lot of big cities, there are there are obviously a lot of free activities that you can do. So yes. Um, pub might be the first option um but are there, there are galleries you can go to there are exhibitions you can go to etc that are free and to be honest i'm quite old so um if all of that sounds rubbish <laughs> come back to the budget and if you know you've got a couple of big events coming up over the next month or so work out how much you're going to spend on those and plan around them and rein it in a bit limits. and you, you still might want to go out for those big days or big nights or whatever they are but just plan yeah. around them yeah exactly no, i hear that learn to nurse a drink i always find just uh take your time <laughs> don't but um, yeah i hear that i mean there's some great advice there and i love the idea of um doing more stuff because i mean i look back over my life and actually some of the best nights i've had were when i went to kind of house parties and you'd have gatherings dinner parties or this there's so many free events out there and community groups and i know people who join kind of running groups and stuff that kind of is akin to fitness as well so it's for what i'm hearing is there's a you know there's a there's a, a broad plethora of opportunity to connect with people outside of just you know paying through the nose just to you know if you drink because not everybody drinks um you know but there's other options out there. I think that's fair to say from what you've said. And I think you're right in terms of everyone acknowledges the fact that you need to maintain that balance and you do need a social life or you do need a different area of focus outside of work for your own mental health yeah. and well-being. So it, it might be more sport-related. So we might be talking mm -hmm. about gym membership fees or team membership fees or the cost of paddleboarding or whatever it is, but it, it is fundamentally it is important um to try to try and yeah. strike that balance and make some cash or financial resource available um to be able to manage that part of your life as well that's a good point i mean i've been, been doing some reading recently around the, the the power of community and actually how 
community is as healthy as uh, eating a salad and drinking lots of water. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's a big part of, I mean, it saves lives on the daily in terms of that. And we've come off the back of almost a loneliness pandemic of, you know, with everything that's happened with lockdown and people feeling quite isolated. So there's a tendency to want to get out there and be with people and connect with people. But what, I mean, all of your answers are great around, there's so much more to to community than just, yeah, you're standing in a pub nurse and a drink. So I think there's some great options there for sure. I want to return to the idea of uh, banking again. So we've talked quite a lot about budgets. Um, I wanted to touch on bank accounts because, again, I, I can only speak from my own experience. I've got the same bank account that I had when I was 15 years old, maybe younger. I don't think I've ever changed it. God knows what it is. It's just a bank account. Um, there must be other options like savings accounts. You know, I mean, I remember the, the days of ISAs and all. there's all these options out there. Um, I just wanted to kind of hack your brains, really, folks, and ask you, you know, what kind of bank account should people have? Benita, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, So there are bank accounts where as you spend, you get cash back and they can be debit or credit card related. There are, um, you know, you've got your overdraft with some of them. They can be interest free. It might be a better alternative to using a loan or a credit card. Um, there's also Monzo, I believe, um, as a bank, which um, I think virtually shows you um, how your spend is and also gives you incentives on the proportion that could potentially go into a savings account. So there is... There are apps and banks that do allow those things. Okay. And uh, yeah, if Monzo are listening, there are other bank accounts available. But if anybody wants to sponsor the podcast out there, we'll <laughs> gladly uh, have Monzo on board. But uh, I agree. I see a lot of um, on my commute in the morning, I see all these fluorescent bank cards and all these kind of new new bank bank accounts on on the block, right? So it's not just the the big dogs anymore. There's lots of, I mean, we use Starling, another bank account for for the Access VFX team, for example. I mean, um, but yeah, it's it's all about doing your research. Almost needs to be built into the whole budget planning. Is that fair to say? Really start to research what's out there so you can get best, more return for your buck. Is that fair to say? And it's not a one-way street. I, I mean, when I when I became a student, there were so many um, banks offering really juicy deals that didn't incur costs. Um, I would advocate tapping into the line of credit of every bank account that was on offer. But it was nice to know it was there. But there were always discounts. Some of them even offer free insurance and other little goodies. And um, the other thing you have to watch out for is, is when you graduate, because the terms and conditions will then it will then become a graduate account and you might then start to incur costs. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So coming back to the idea of costs, and uh, Will, you touched on energy costs earlier with uh, the seven the seven pound uh, slow cooker, um, particularly in the UK. And I know we have quite a global listenership, but we're approaching, hopefully, well, not hopefully, we've got autumn and then winter fast approaching. You know, how do you save on energy costs when the uh, the climate changes and it gets colder and we've seen the soaring costs of uh, energy bills. Um, you know, present company accepted, and you know, all our listeners are probably feeling the pinch as well. You know, how do you save or realistically save on energy costs apart from wearing lots of jumpers? And that's the, that is the rub. I mean, to 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 save on 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 your costs, I I would advocate trying to stay in the same room when you get home, as unpleasant as that is or could be. Um, the kitchen can be the nicest place. I know um, some celebrity was made fun of for advocating putting um, tin foil down the back of your radiator, but it does work. And, and even though it's a small amount, it does work. You can buy secondary glazing, which is like cling film, and you can stick it around your window and you'll have the effect of double glazing. And I know because I've, I've tried it last year and it does reduce the costs. I appreciate there are so many tips out there and nothing is going to negate the sky high hike that fees are about to take um i do have a friend who's just uh, rented a flat where heating was included so if you see if any of those things still going definitely sign yeah, up yeah i mean uh, i don't know how yeah i mean I, everything i hear at the moment is it just rent renting at the moment just sounds almost untenable from what i hear from the, the folks here at the studio that i work at 
I mean, it's terrifying. It almost brings us back to the budget conversation, doesn't it, in terms of what is realistic and actually what your bills look like and then just working backwards from there and, and seeing where you can cut your cloth. But it is, apart from being careful with usage, because it's, um, it's very easy to put all the lights on in the house, you know, whether you live in a flat share or you live in a flat a studio flat by yourself, trying to minimise where that happens and doing your best to exist in one space the best you can Uh, easy for me to sit here and say that but it's just uh, thinking before you turn the thing on is 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 that a fair assumption i mean james do you have any thoughts on this yeah i'd just pick up on something that um will mentioned and talking about putting the heating or lights on or whatever it was when you get home so obviously since the pandemic there's been a shift from working in the office to remote working etc but it's worth considering, depending on your transport costs and how you get to the office, if you're on a season ticket, so you're paying the, the train fare anyway, or if you walk in or if you bike in, the, the employer is obviously is going to, again, incur the cost of heating that office, lighting that office, powering the, the laptops and the kit, et cetera, et cetera. So consider, actually, is it more cost effective for you to go into the office and not have to pay for all of that stuff? at home all day um i would have said the the other the other point i'd make is and again this comes back to what you said about um it all sounds a bit like hard work but try to understand your tariff so try to understand what you're paying and what you're paying for and there's obviously various websites where you can go on and compare your tariffs and work out if you can do it you can do it cheaper um and doing doing things like that can be a pain but if we're in a situation where um the cost of living is excessive as it is and we need to make adjustments to the way we live then part of that is in my mind taking responsibility for how you respond to the situation and therefore probably invest the time to do that type of stuff and then again it comes all the way back to you doing that kind of stuff it is going to reduce your anxiety around the cost of living and hopefully um, improve things from a mental health yeah, perspective. It comes back to control, doesn't it? I think there's really a theme uh, coming up here. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Will, you, I think was it, I think James, you talked about kind of uh, quite ch- uh, like gym memberships or being part of a, because gym memberships, there's quite, it's not just like the big, it's not super expensive now. I mean, unless you go to a fancy big name gym, but there's lots of urban gyms that are popping up everywhere where you can almost uh, have your morning shower there. I mean, I, I go swimming in my local leisure center uh, every morning and I have my shower there. It's, it's the shower of dreams. It's boiling hot. It does the job. And it, saves, it must save me an absolute ton of change on my heating bill. Just the fact that I have all my showers at my local leisure center. Um, but it's, I think it's that control, isn't it? It's like looking at your, is it fair to look at your routine? You know, if you are lucky enough to be in an entry level role or any role, it's like, you know, zone one, I mean, I, I work in London, so zone one's quite small in london you can walk most places within 20 minutes to half an hour stick a good podcast on maybe the access vfx podcast if it takes you fancy and walk into work on a morning or or try to kind of tailor or plan it goes back to planning but almost planning your day with a bit of precision as to where you're actually spending money because everything costs something at the moment doesn't it it's like tapping in and out you know as soon as you get home you put all the lights on stick the heating on whatever it is and is it about being savvy with your your routine? I mean, and Benita, do you have, do you have a view on this? Any thoughts? I think a good old fashioned draft excluder, the lower door, a hot water bottle, um, and then thinking about um, you know what, how long are you charging your laptop or your phone? Are you keeping an eye on it? Is it already a hundred percent charged and you've ignored it and you're still plugging it in? It's little things like that, um, like you said. Um, controlling your heating does it need to be on all day can you time it can you time it so it comes on just a bit before you're about to come home and then it's warm when you're there consider your zone like Will was saying keep it you know stay in one room if you can it's maximizing what you're trying what you need to utilize anyway yeah thank you Benita and I think you're right and it's about as as James said earlier it's about invest you've got to invest the time to do all of this stuff I think I, I mean I was joking about literally the admin burden of budgeting and planning but you've kind of got to do it haven't you you've got to you can't not now 
Well, Simon, I think you just what you just said something quite interesting in that regard. Uh, not everyone loves spreadsheets as much as me, right? I understand that. Um, and the thought of putting a budget down in a spreadsheet is going to turn a lot of people off, and I get that completely. But what you've just talked about is about a mindset shift. So even if you're not going to put mm. a budget in a spreadsheet and actually track it in detail you can quite easily try to shift your mindset a little bit in terms of can I walk from Y to Z or do I need the lights on or can I shower in the office or whatever it is, all of those little bits you just know are going to add up. And even that in itself, if we come back to the control over the situation point, they're going to add up to give you more control. Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea about it being a mindset shift. Like it becomes a different, different problem to solve them rather than just feeling like this maths exercise that you might have to do, which, you know, isn't appealing. And then it becomes fun as well. You kind of start to get off on it. Like, mm. wow, if I, I could save £2.50 mm. by walking this zone, like you just mentioned, rather than... A friend of mine had a... Yeah, and you can get hooked on it for sure. A friend of mine had a thing where, because if he ever saw like a penny or a money on the floor he would pick it up and put it into a jar at home you know 1p 2p 50p maybe the odd fiver you know occasionally it happens um just staying on top of stuff like that as well like you know that's not going to break the bank but you know it's another little uh, project i think if you can't walk there's cycle to work schemes that companies do offer and that's always worth looking into it can save you tax as well it's a cheaper way of doing it the company does the initial outlay as well so you don't need to be spending the money on the tube or the train yeah Yeah. again it's just giving it some thought isn't it we need to just taking a step back i mean i mean on that it leads me nicely into my next question around support and not just how companies can support you with benefits but you know if you do uh get in trouble financially um how do you approach that with your employer because um a lot of people, I imagine, it almost becomes like admitting weakness or failure by going to your your manager or your your HR department and going, "Look, I, I'm struggling here. You know, this is almost untenable." I mean, how do you how do you broach that with your employer if you? I think there's no shame in um, admitting what's happened. In fact, I think you'll gain a lot of respect from managing expectations, especially if you take it from the stance that, "Look, I obviously I enjoy coming to work." come to work every day but there's going to be a certain point on this date where it's going to become very difficult what, what can you recommend but don't keep it to yourself yeah it's, it's, it's easier said than done i completely agree with you will it is hard to I kind know. of come forward it's like anybody admitting a, a challenge or a problem or something that's going on in their personal life but um yeah what's your take benita what's uh, what would you recommend I think if you can't go directly to your manager, certainly go to the people department, HR, talk to the head of finance, talk to someone there. You know, don't be embarrassed. Take some time out with them. Show them what it is that's um, getting out of hand. They can sit down with you. They can give you advice. They can probably have conversations with you, go through the budgets, find out better ways of how you can get out of that situation you don't carry the burden and i mean a lot of employers um i assume you all have employee assistance programs or eaps that often a lot of employees don't really know exists it's not something that often gets it might be hidden away on an intranet or there might be a poster in the toilet but it's not something that gets shouted about like a lot of studios and companies have you know, counselling kind of hotlines that offer advice, financial advice, personal advice. Um, James, is that something that you encourage a, a territory group? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head, to be honest. So we do offer an EAP. Um, and I think as a team, we're aware that it's not as high profile as it could be. So that's something we're looking to address. Um, but it, it does provide various free advice to employees so that could be financial tax or legal in the context of what we're talking about but it also covers a wide range of other things so mental health medical information relationship advice that type of thing 
Um, so it's definitely worth finding out whether your employer offers that sort of um, EOP or employee assistance program. Because like I said, I know at Territory, we, we don't shout about it enough and it, it is something we're looking to, yeah. to address. Um, I mean, outside of employment, there are various other ways you can go. So you can um, look at the citizens advice website. There's a website called moneyhelper.org.uk and they're, they're starting points. Um, and again, they, they don't just cover um, financials. They, a lot of people are obviously aware that there's a mental health element to struggling financially. So they cover those points as well. Um, but I, I also wouldn't underestimate the benefit of talking to friends and family. I mean, in the, in the current climate, obviously everyone's in different circumstances, but a lot of people are struggling. Um, and it depends on you as a person, friends and family may actually be harder than the employer, but your friends and your family are the people that know you better than anybody else. And they're the people, um, you're closest to, and they're the people, uh, who in my mind are most likely to be able to offer if not help and advice at least support um so it would definitely suggest not not forgetting that option yeah i think there's some great um advice there particularly the around the external piece as well because i imagine a lot of uh, not every studio is going to have an eap i mean ideally in a perfect world every studio and every company will but uh, at least there's external resources there and of course there's your nearest and dearest who can be of support as well i mean will at escape you're dealing mostly with students right so um does it differ in any way dealing with uh with with the escape students and and some of their challenges is it a similar setup or do you offer something different I guess it's 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 similar but different. So the we don't have an EAP, but we do have student services, and we do have um, on-site counsellors, and we do have um, good relationships with the hardship fund, so we can direct people and so forth. They the majority of our students don't live with their family; they're independent, living in London for the first time. Um, but there are a lot of uh, similarities. Um, Benita, I don't want to leave you out of this conversation. Uh, what do Union offer? I mean, I'm not selling in these studios, by the way. We're studio agnostic here, but as the three of you are on the pod, we should at least see what's available in each of your studios. How do you support your folks? Yes, so Union does have an EAP as well. Um, and the people department is brilliant in that regard. There are one-to-ones and it can be brought up with those as well. But managers are generally very good at um, keeping on top of this. We also have um, mental health ambassadors um, at the company. Mental health is closely connected to this, right? So, uh, James, you touched on uh, some external support. So we talked about citizens' advice. Citizens advice uh, there's moneyhelper.com. Um, a question to the group, you know, if people don't want to be counselled, they don't want to be on the phone, they don't feel com- comfortable speaking to someone, and some people aren't going to feel comfortable, what resources are out there, uh, in addition to what we've already talked about, that people can tap into that they might not know about? Well, there's, I mean, YouTube is... <laughs> first place I would go to if I'm looking for how-to advice and I don't want to ask anyone directly. I don't know if Martin Lewis is too um, too further in life to, to make that as a recommendation here. Though. I mean, so the, the external resources that I mentioned, so money, moneyhelper.org.uk and Citizens Advice, they're obviously websites. So if you don't feel like you want to talk to someone directly. There is still a lot of information that you can take yeah. away uh, and distill um, and try yeah. to use. And we should absolutely be encouraging people to speak up here, right? We're not, but yeah, it's just give, you know, giving that plethora yeah. of, of options. So uh, I'm very aware we're coming almost to the top of the, the hour. So I've got a couple of questions that kind of bring it back into kind of uh, working life, entry level roles within our industry. And one of the questions is around um, salary and what a typical 
um, kind of entry level salary looks like from a, let's say you're a grad or you're coming in uh, off the back of an internship program, or it is literally just your first rung of the ladder. You know, what is considered a kind of competitive, a kind of fair entry level salary or what should young people be, be asking for? Now, that's a big question because there's lots of different roles, but just broadly, what should you be insisting on if you're just getting started in our industry? It's a tricky one because if it's hard to insist on things when it's you're you're asking a studio to take a chance on you and give you a job. Uh, we always recommend things like ensuring it's at least a London wage, and going back to budgeting, taking taking that salary that they're offering you and working out if you can do it. And and I will swerve the question slightly. Well, to start with, anyway. Um, salary is obviously one component of when you're coming into your first role or you're coming into a junior role. So it's, it's obviously an important factor. Um, but line it up against things like what the learning opportunity is, what the training provision is, career development opportunities, and what the culture of the company is and whether you'll be happy or not. Um, this is coming from somebody that works in finance, but money isn't the be all and end all. Um, and then, like I say, it is though obviously important if you're going to go into a process and um, put forward a salary expectation to, employ- to an employer, do some research in advance. So try to understand what the sort of market rate for the role that you're going for is in the location that you're in. I mean, obviously, if the role, the market rate for the role is 25 grand and you go in and ask for 50 grand, you're going to put yourself out of contention for that job um, in the first place. But as um, Will mentioned, I mean, there are sort of certain external benchmarks. So there is a London living wage, which I think equates to about 23 grand. Um and there are other um, resources out there that advise what a sort of a salary requirement is for a reasonable standard of living. And then they're in the same sort of bracket, 23 to 25 grand. So, but that comes heavily caveated with don't make the salary the only um, consideration. And also, it comes down to the the individual, the role, the location. Because it's the whole value proposition, isn't it? So I think everything you all spoke about earlier around, you know, what does the company offer? So do they offer a social element? Is there, um, are there great benefits? Is there an EAP? Is there a pension? All the stuff we talked about around budgeting. And actually, can you have a, you can probably have a few good nights out with a studio that you're working for if they have a good social culture, which most seem to right so it's almost weighing up the whole piece and then again going back to investing the time in doing some work doing some admin looking at market rates looking at what's typically paid so then you can have a a grown-up conversation or a negotiation about salary without like you say james going in going in big and ending up doing yourself a disservice some good yeah. points there for sure. Um, so I'm here to ask all the difficult questions that nobody wants to ask. So uh, the, one of the big questions I've been asked is why can't employers give everyone a 10% raise to help all this, this issue? Why can't we just go, hey, everybody gets 10%, off you go, um, problem solved. Why can't that happen? If, if everyone did, I suppose you'd have to charge your clients more. You'd be less competitive and then we would have no work. That's my take. How about... I agree with um, Will. Also, when it comes to the electricity and gas cap, it doesn't apply to businesses. It applies to individuals' personal um, usage, not to businesses. So that has to be considered as well. And it's making them understand that. I think for the first time on the call, I'm going to say something slightly contradictory. So, I mean... Ultimately, it comes down to whether the business can afford to do it or not and it can afford to absorb that cost. And given the nature of our industry, the biggest cost to our businesses is, is, is staff. So if, if you are talking about those level of increases, you are talking about a large amount. Um, we did actually decide to take some action 
due to the cost of living um, situation and implement a significant one-off pay rise as a result of it. And essentially, um, I think we all recognise that the cost of living impact is big, is disproportionately larger on lower paid employees. So we put in place a mechanism essentially that um, gave employees at the lower end of the scale um, a relatively larger increase and then that tapered off um, as, as we went up through the business. And that wasn't an easy decision to make. But like I say, I mean, it's not just the biggest cost to the business. The biggest resource the business has is the people. Um, and we did it and we talked a little bit, a little bit about this in terms of not everyone's comfortable, um, flagging issues with their employer. So we, we decided to do it as a management team proactively before we were asked to do it by the team, because like we've said, not everyone's comfortable doing it. Um, and so essentially my answer to the question is it's contingent on the business. But ultimately, a lot of businesses aren't going to be able to afford to, to take that cost impact. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah, like you say, it's so dependent on the business and what's affordable. And, and, and it's, all, it's all built into that decision-making process, isn't it? But thanks for sharing that, James. It's a, it's a great solution for sure. I'm going to go in with uh, something we haven't pre-scripted. Uh, not, not that we pre-script any of this, but, you know, it's no secret. We do send the, uh, the questions out in advance. You know, we want people to come prepared. Um, but I haven't pre-scripted this one. And it's a pretty straightforward end because you need a good um, end to a decent podcast. Is on the on the, 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 the regular scheduled programming of the Access VFX podcast, we ask for one uh, golden career nugget of advice so for this special episode based on everything you've all just said what is your golden rock solid top tip for surviving the current um cost of living crisis what's the golden one thing that people listening to the pod should take away from this conversation we've had today i'm going to start with um and start with will go from being reactive to proactive and it will serve you i love that Again, going back to that mindset mindset shift, isn't it? Right, proactive, take control. Um, Benita, um, just think about things. Think about where you can save. Um, don't stick your head in the sand. Brilliant. Don't stick your head in the sand. Be proactive. And James, what do you got for us? I've just been massively stitched up there by going last because I was going to say, don't stick your head in the sand. So I was I was actually going to say, don't stick your head in the sand and take control. Take control. I love that. My big learning from this is got to do the admin. Get that admin done. Make it a creative problem solve. You know, you know, yeah, creatively problem solve your life. You know, that's the one thing I wish I had this advice when I was starting out because I literally just was in and out of overdrafts, quite weighty ones over the years. And uh, I don't think I even have a budget now. I think I need to chat to my other half and uh, sort our home finances out as well with a bit of a spreadsheet. My worst nightmare, by the way, I'm on the polar opposite of James. I'm not a fan of the spreadsheet, but maybe I should fall back in love with it. Well, um, Benita, Will and James, thank you so much for your time on the podcast. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot from this. Um, I'll follow up with you all afterwards. Uh, maybe we can put a few website links and uh, recommendations in the show notes so people have got some content to take away. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much and uh, hopefully see you all around. I, I'm, I famously don't know how to end podcasts, so I'm just going to say thanks for coming and uh, hopefully bump into you at some point in the near future. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Well, that was episode 22 of the Access VFX podcast. Do the admin people, you've got to do the admin. So much great advice that I'll personally be taking on board. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, subscribe and leave us a nice review if you fancy it. And most importantly, get involved with our Foundry-sponsored 
global e-mentoring program. If you're in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia, or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor yourself to folks aspiring or just getting started in the VFX animation or games industry. Go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and change someone's life. Thank you, James, Benita, and Will for being such brilliant guests. Thanks to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch you on the next episode where we once again open the AVFX vault and meet another member of the VFX animation and games community. See you later. Thank you.